0: let's move on to the message. Um, today, we're going to continue in our series called Remember. Uh, Pastor Brian has used the word remember in, throughout this entire series because that's exactly the word the Scripture uses. In the case of this series, the word remember doesn't mean just to look back and recall like, oh yeah, I remember that. It actually means to take note of the information and to do something with it, to actually take action with it. So, in other words, it's the same as what's supposed to happen when you're told to remember to take out the trash, right? We don't go, oh, yeah, I remember you said that. We actually are supposed to actually take out the trash, right? So, this Remember series is supposed to make us remember something that Jesus told us and then actually do something about it, right? So, today's chapter uh, in this series is called Remember the Poor, and it will start with two passages of Scripture and then we're gonna jump off from there I will uh, I'll give you fair warning I got a lot of Scripture for you today sometimes I've just found you know you can write lots and lots of flowery words but if the Bible just says it and it just says it so clearly you know why substitute my words for for the words that are in the Bible because they just do a better job right so our initial scripture references are from the Apostle Paul uh, Acts chapter 20 verse 35 And Galatians chapter 2, verse 10. So the passage in Acts reads In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay, and then the passage in Galatians, all they, referring to James, John, and Peter, the apostles, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor the very thing I've been eager to do all along. So let's talk about this passage in Galatians first for a little bit. Paul's telling the church in Galatia about his interaction with the original disciples, specifically Peter, James, and John, sort of the big three, if you will, of the apostles, the the ones that are the most noteworthy in terms of how much writing there is about them, the leaders, the peer leaders uh, amongst the disciples, and how they accepted him as a legit apostle. And you have to understand they had to accept him because he was a bad guy in their eyes previously. He had been a persecutor of the church. And so they needed to get a sense for him that he was a believer like they were, that he had found Jesus like they did. And so that, this conversation between the apostles and Paul was key. Uh, and the one thing that they told him they wanted him to do, because they were convinced of the rest of his witness, was that he should remember the poor. In the end, they endorsed his mission with that caveat. The passage in Acts, Paul is saying goodbye to the leaders of the church in Ephesus, and he begins with the statement prior to the verse I read you, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. So I've heard that Scripture preached many times in my life, and many times pastors will stop there and used that statement as an admonition to tell us all that we should be hard workers. Paul is telling us he worked hard to provide for his own needs, but he didn't stop there. He told us why he did those things. This was an intro to the rest of his statement because he goes on from there and says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus Himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So the Bible instructs us in several places throughout that we're supposed to be hard workers. That's not a new idea to us, I think. But in this passage Paul actually provides a purpose for the hard work, that purpose that we must help the weak. And he throws in a trump card at the end of it, that he uses the words of the Lord Jesus to drive the point home. It's more blessed to give than to receive. He ties the three thoughts together, So that the meaning cannot be missed this is not a contextual argument it's all there in one flowing sentence it's important to work hard so you can help the weak because jesus said so so with that introduction let's dive in right so that's the two verses that were given to me by pastor brian I think the last time when I had the chance to share a message with you, I told you all that I'm a a real student of the way things are said or written. I pay real attention to words, the way they're written, the way they're said, because words mean something. And the words of God mean everything. And the words in His book are God's book, right? Those are His words. I'm also a believer in repetition as a form of teaching. If you played sports or you played an instrument, Coaches, musical instructors, what well, they drilled us all the time, right? We're doing the same thing over and over again to where it becomes second nature, to where we learn from hearing the same encouragements over and over again. And I believe this applies to the Bible also. I think when God wants us to grasp the importance of something that He really thinks is important, He repeats it again and again and again. For example, He tells us we're responsible for our thoughts, that our thoughts are just as important as our actions. He tells us we're to love one another as Christ loved us. Those are recurring themes throughout the gospel, stated repeatedly. Why? Because he thinks they're important. So what does the Bible say about our obligations to the poor? So today I'm going to share with you 16 scriptures. Not all of them are long, so don't don't groan too much. Sixteen scriptures about our responsibility to the poor. There are actually many more. I mean, I think I counted something like 40 at one point when I stopped counting. But I'm just going to use these 16 to make my point. One of the reasons I'm going to use these 16 is because the authors involved. These passages that I'm going to share with you today, they contain commands, blessings, and curses. The authors include John the Baptist, the Apostle James, Solomon, Isaiah, Moses, Ezekiel, and Jesus Christ. That's a pretty good list of authors, yes? So let's dive in. John the Baptist told us to give to those who are lacking. In Luke 3.11, he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. That's pretty straightforward. Not a, lot, not a lot to need to interpret there. Moses told us to lay aside a portion for the poor. Leviticus 199 and 10 says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your, your field right up to the edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. And I misstated earlier when I said that Moses was the author because at the end of that verse it says, and I'm quoting, I am the Lord your God. So Moses didn't write that. God told us that. So we are to intentionally set something aside for the poor. It's supposed to be part of our plan to make provision for it. Not just a whim because you feel guilty or sad because you see someone in need, which there's nothing wrong with that but that in your overall life, that you should make plan for people in need. Let's move over to King David. The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. So what did he have to say about our obligations to the poor? Psalm 41, verses 1 through 3, blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him, the Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. So, David tells us that God will bless you if you take care of the poor. So, I've given you several motivations already in these scriptures, right? We give because people are in need. We're supposed to give because people are in need. We're supposed to give because God said to do it. And we're supposed to give because God will bless us if we do. That's, for starters, those are pretty good reasons, are they not? They're also helpful to battle the internal conversations that some of us have when we think about whether to give to charity or give to someone in need. When we start to ask ourselves, is the person worthy? Is the charity worthy? Will the person or the charity do good with my money? Or will they be efficient with it? There's an argument to be made here that we're to give and move on from it. That we're to give and leave the outcome to the recipient, and more importantly, that we're to to give and leave the outcome to God. Isaiah the prophet echoed this very same term. In fact, very clear, Isaiah 58 has both the command and the blessing in that verse. Uh, Isaiah says, share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. That's the command. All right, and then the blessing, then your light will break forth like the dawn, your healing will quickly appear, then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of God will be your rear guard, then you will call, and the Lord will answer, you will cry for help, and He will say, here am I. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, your light shall rise in the darkness, and your gloom to be as the noonday. I almost didn't read all of that because I thought, you know, he's really just beating that to death. But that's a heck of a blessing. So I thought it just, I th- just thought we had to read the whole thing. So after that long verse, let's get into some short stuff here, right? What did the wisest man who ever lived have to say about giving to the poor, right? We're talking about Solomon. These are Proverbs. Have you ever thought Proverbs would just be great for like a desk calendar? a a different proverb for every day, a little snippet. Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the poor, and he, God, will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 22, 9, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Proverbs 14, 21, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor And then the last one i'll share with you on the proverbs a little heavier well quite a bit heavier whoever gives to the poor will not want but he who hides his eye will get many a curse that's pretty sobering he who hides his eye he who acts like he doesn't see it he's going to get many a curse this next one now that i've gone down the level of the heavier stuff this next one, I'm afraid, con- continues in this same vein. This is Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her sisters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. Folks, we live in a prosperous nation. I hope none of you ever doubt that. We li- the United States is a prosperous nation. According to the Better Life Index, which measures the wealth of the entire world, the United States ranks number two in world wealth, second to Luxembourg, which is like this big. I think like 14 people live there. (laughs) And we're number one in the amount of disposable income. We got a lot of money in our pockets, even if we don't feel like we have a lot of money in our pockets. So, I'm going to quote Spider-Man instead of Solomon with this little quote right here, with great power comes what? Great responsibility. God has blessed this nation. He's blessed you. The day you were born, living in this nation, you were blessed, and we're meant to meet our responsibilities. God is calling out to those who have abundance to aid the poor and the needy. In In the United States, nearly everyone who lives here is blessed. And maybe it doesn't always feel that way, but factually, even our poor are well-off compared to the rest of the world. How many people know that? According to this very same index, the average poor person in America has a higher standard of living than 80% of the rest of the world. As Americans, I keep hammering this, we're uniquely blessed, and God expects us to be generous as a result. And He compares those of us who have a lot but fail to give, I'm sorry for this, to Sodom. These scriptures call us to action, not empty words, not empty words of God's love, but actual demonstration of it. And I realize this can get sticky because it feels like I'm saying to you that you're saved by works and not by faith, but that's really not what I mean but you can't miss the meaning that's shared here. The Apostle James makes it clear that when we're talking about evidence of our faith that action matters. Doing something matters. And he uses the poor. James himself used the poor as his example that if you are truly saved, that you'll be a person of action. It's not that you'll you'll be a person of action and that gets you saved. It is that because you're saved, you're going to want to be a person of action. James chapter 2, 14 through 26, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister was out clothes and daily food. If one of you says, go in peace and keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? I have to take a time out for a minute. I think I was only about five years ago that I ever saw and understood that the Bible sometimes is sarcastic. And there's a little bit of sarcasm in this. If you see someone who's in need and your response to that is, hey, good luck. Keep warm. But you don't do anything about it. Those are empty empty words. They're wasted words. They're words that really say you didn't really mean it. Right? That's what James is saying here. In the same way, James says, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I always get a little squirmy when I read James. He's just so hardcore. But I'm not saying these words. You guys know it, right? You can check me out. You can check out James chapter 2 if you don't believe me. James is telling us it's hard to convince someone that Jesus loves them as we fail to meet their physical needs. Or I'll quote the immortal words of the singer John Mayer, love is a noun baby, or, I'm sorry I screwed up my quote. Love ain't a noun baby, love is a verb, I can't believe I flubbed that line. All right, so let, enough of Scripture from the lesser players. Let's, let's check in with our Savior and see what He had to say about it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 42, Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Luke 14, 12 through 14, When you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friend or brother or your relative or rich neighbor, lest they also invite you in return, and you'll get repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. And you'll be repaid at the resurrection. That's awesome. Jesus refers to storing up treasures that will not fade instead of the things we have in this life. In Luke 12, He says, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. How many, know, how many in this room know money comes and goes? I sometimes feel like I'm a giant distribution system. I get paid and then I just give it to everybody who really owns it. Money, money is gone very quickly. And if you thought my chapter or my passage from Ezekiel was heavy hitting, This well-known stuff here from Jesus, Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and take your inheritance. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. And the righteous will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink?" I'll skip a little bit ahead, and the king will reply, "'Truly, I will tell you, whoever did one of these for the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it for me.'" Then he says to those on the left, "'Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick, and in prison, you did not look after me. And they'll ask the same question, Lord, when did we see those things? And he will say, truly, whatever you did not do for the least of me, you did not do for me, or for the least of them, you did not do for me. And they will go to eternal punishment, but the righteous will go to eternal life. very sobering so it turned out James was not preaching his own words he was echoing the words of Jesus before him and again i have a hard time i have a hard time reconciling some of this when we talk about work you know a checklist of works we're supposed to do versus you're saved by faith but you can't ignore that we're commanded to do things and to take action when it comes to the poor i gave you 16 verses I don't think a single one of them is open to context. I think every one of them is pretty crystal clear. Specifically, James and Jesus himself tells us that a failure to do so is indicative of a lack of faith. I was struggling with this all week long. Brian asked me to do this message about a month ago, and I I started putting the outline together. And every time I came up against this part, I just struggled with it. it, just troubled me. This morning, literally this morning, I woke up and I remembered this parable. How many remember the parable of the unforgiving servant? A little bit of recap for you. There was a servant, and he owed an insane amount of money to his master. More money than he could possibly repay. And in those days, when you owed money, they threw you into debtor's prison, or they whipped you flogged you and he was so despondent about his complete lack of ability to repay his debt that he asked his master for forgiveness and his master forgave him all of it lock stock and barrel everything so then after he left there forgiven he had a bunch of folks who owed him money and they asked him for forgiveness And not only did he not forgive, but he had them beaten and thrown into prison. And the Bible tells us that when his master heard about his lack of forgiveness, that he had him thrown into prison and whipped, and he goes on to say that he'll be an eternal punishment for those who do not forgive those who need our forgiveness. Now, that's a forgiveness verse, but there's a parallel here. You and I have a debt that we cannot pay. We have no chance to pay. It doesn't matter how good you are. You might be the the goodest person who's ever been good. It ain't good enough. And the king gave you complete and utter carte blanche forgiveness if you accept him as your Lord and Savior. So when you look at someone who is struggling... In this case, we're talking about the poor, but it could really be a person who's struggling with anything. If your heart is not a heart of compassion, you're flunking. You're failing the test. As believers, we're meant to be compassionate. And here's where I tie this together, this bit about faith. Jesus is telling us, if that's not where your heart is, maybe you're not there. Maybe you need to go back and look at the gift you've been given because he looked at you, and he knows you're not righteous enough, but he laid his life down so that you don't have to pay that price. And he wants you to do the same thing to people in need when you come across people. We're supposed to have a heart of compassion. So this entire, I want to call this an introduction, so don't, be, don't go, oh my gosh, that was the introduction? <laughs> I realize that's beating a dead horse, and I just want to do away with the dispute This idea, are you really supposed to help people? What if they're not worthy? Does the Bible say that people who don't work won't eat? Yes, it does. Does does the Bible say that the lazy will be poor? Yes, it does. Those are facts. But those are admonitions directly to the poor. They're not a waiver for you and me. They're not a waiver for us to look at the poor and say, well, dude... You're lazy, so I don't have to help you. The bottom line, we're commanded to help the poor. So what's it mean? What's it mean to help the poor? Well, first and foremost, really more than first and foremost, like everything and foremost, it's a matter of the heart. God knows our heart. God judges our heart. God tells us that it's from our heart That our actions actually come from. So no matter what you do or do not do in life, or specific to this general discussion about our remembering the poor, God will know our motivations because you can't hide your heart from God. You can hide it from everybody else if you're pretty slick, but you can't hide your heart from God. Jesus cares about us, and He cares deeply about all people. And those who describe themselves as Christ-like or Christian were supposed to mimic his priorities. John, uh, in John chapter 21, Jesus told Peter three things. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. He's telling us the same thing. The people are his sheep, and he wants us to help him take care of them. So what's it look like? Well, here's the thing. It can look like a zillion things. There are so many options to helping the poor. Deuteronomy chapter 15, this is a great passage. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. You shall give to him freely, And your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all that you undertake, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, to the poor in your land. So what's that mean? We're to give without grudge, we're to give freely, we're to give without judgment. And too often, I think, we find ourselves evaluating people. He's young. She looks able-bodied. He's lazy. She's mean. He did it to himself. She'll probably spend it on drugs. He'll buy alcohol with it if I gave. All those demonstrate a callousness and a hardening of the heart to people who have likely, absolutely, probably contributed to their own misfortune. But see, it's not our job to be the evaluators. Our job is to show the compassion of Jesus. The same Jesus who gave His life for unworthy humanity. We are responsible for where Jesus found us on our day of salvation. We were young. We were able-bodied. We were mean, we were on drugs, or we took out, you know, we drank alcohol. We did all those things one way or the other, and yet he still offered compassion, giving us something that we did not deserve. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that that's how he looked at us, that we didn't get what we deserved? So you see the point? When you evaluate whether you're going to be generous with with people who are poor, That shouldn't be your first motivator, because the compassion is actually more key than the gift itself. The Bible tells us we're not going to eliminate the poor. I've actually had people tell me, well, geez, my little bit of money is not going to change the outcome. No, you're exactly right. It will not. We will always have poor people, but compassion matters. That Deuteronomy passage says we're supposed to give with an open hand. Giving is supposed to be sacrificial. It's, about, it's supposed to cut into your bottom line a bit. It's not the spare change you put on the dresser. Although we're in a world where I have a lot less spare change anymore since everything's electronic. I, you know, that, When I was first married, we used to drop our change in a bucket for our vacation fund. If you do that now, you'd have about 10 bucks in my house. Our giving should not be what's left over. Our giving should be intentional and generous. And as far as that bit about trying to judge the person that you might give to, how many remember the infomercial of various kitchen products by a guy named Ron Papel? Ron Papel. What was Ron Papel's slogan for his oven? Anybody? Set and forget it. Make a donation to whatever, to a person, to a charity, whatever it's going to be. You know, say a prayer to God. God, you know, I ask you to look over the money that they get, that it'll bless people. That first, it'll help them know Jesus, and second, it'll meet their needs. And then you move on. Set it and forget it. We don't need to worry about whether I see them in McDonald's a week later when I'm, oh my gosh, they're in McDonald's. They could have been buying Hamburger Helper. Did you see what that lady bought with food stamps? We we shouldn't spend too much time thinking about that. That doesn't mean those things are right or are wrong. I mean, you do see examples when people waste their money. But I got news for you, man. Me and me and my wife, we wasted a lot of money. I'm grateful no one's looking over my shoulder going, "Man, you're awfully wasteful, Rob." Now I'm not saying we shouldn't care about what happens to the people that we give to or the charities that we give to. It's perfectly normal to want to know if they're doing better or if the charity is achieving its purpose and I think that in itself is a good use of time. I'm specifically referring to the fretting that we often do, frankly, as an excuse not to be generous. There used to be a fellow go to church here named Jarell Godsey. If you've been around for a while, you you might have seen Jarell preach. He used to preach fairly often here. Jarell's the CEO of Heartbeat International, if you are all familiar with that organization. One of his sermons was about obedience to God. In the sermon, our attitude was the key. And he reminded us over and over again, our attitude was the key. So I called him up and asked him about that sermon as I prepared this message about it. And he says, we obey God, we do it joyfully, and we do it every day. And so I'm going to adapt his little saying now for our obligations to the poor. God has instructed us to remember the poor. All right, here's Jarrell saying, we do it the right way, we do it the happy way, we do it every day. God doesn't want your grudging acceptance. He wants your obedience and your joyful buy-in. These are his instructions. This thing I said about you're not going to change the outcome like their material possession outcome, years and years ago, Beth and I were at the Palace Theater to see Gaffigan, Jim Gaffigan, and we were standing in line on Broad Street, I don't know, 500 people, and there was this poor fella sitting, literally sitting like in the line, rocking back and forth, looked like he hadn't had a bath in a long time. It was cold, so it wasn't like you could smell him, but you could just tell the fellow was dirty. And it really hurt me because everybody just stepped over him like he was a curb. I mean, we were all there to have dinner with our wives and go to a funny show and laugh. And this guy was just kind of, you know, excuse me, you know, trying to get in to see Gaffigan, you know. So I gave him a few bucks. I have no doubt. I don't know why I gave five bucks. Ten, I can't remember. I have no doubt it didn't change his life, the money. And I leaned into him. And I, I just whispered real, real quietly to him. I said, God loves you, man. I hope, I hope better things for you in the future. Something along that line. The key to the whole thing was not about giving him the money. But the key might be that you have a chance to just share for one second that somebody cares about him, that just for a second he knows whatever his background is. He might have done it all to himself. He might be a victim of terrible circumstance. We don't need to worry about that. Our job is just to show the heart of Jesus, the heart of compassion, and that's it. A lot of folks, I've had people say to me over the years, you're just a sucker. The guy's going to be down the street buying, they used to be when I was growing up, he's going to be down the street buying Mad Dog. <laughs> Mad Dog must have done a great marketing job because that was always the woman. Whenever we referred to somebody buying wine that shouldn't have, all they're buying Mad Dog. I don't understand that. But i tell you what. I'd rather be a sucker than hard-hearted. If you give to somebody 10 times and nine of them go out and buy mad dogs, so be it. If you just tell them one minute, if they have one glimmer that knows that humanity actually does care one bit, that's what matters. So I learned, you know, when people are down, sometimes dignity is is, is just so precious to them. So I learned this one in college. I went to Ohio I'm sorry, I went to the Ohio State University. And when, when I was going to Ohio State, they built the fanciest McDonald's I had ever seen back then. It was a two-story McDonald's. You guys remember when that thing? If you're old, you remember when that was built, I do. And so my friends and I, we went to McDonald's that day, and uh, as we walked in the door, there was this fella, this poor fella, and he pulled a Baskin-Robbins cup out of the trash. And it had about a half an inch of melted ice cream. And he was eating the melted ice cream. And I was really touched by it, you know. I mean, I, my folks were putting money in my bank account every week. So when I bought my lunch, I bought four hamburgers and two small fries and a, and a soda. And as I walked out, I laid it down next to him and I said, here you go, buddy. And he says to me, Oh, I don't need that man. And I said, All right, well just give it to somebody who does, because I'm sure you'll see someone who does. And I, I think I took ten steps before he was in that bag. I'm not trying to hold myself up as righteous. I mean, I was literally born with a silver spoon in my mouth when it comes to having parents that took care of everything I ever needed. But when you see someone who's digging ice cream, melted ice cream out of a trash can, if your heart doesn't break for that, then man, maybe you need a heart transplant. We're going to take a few minutes and talk about politics. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Politics and the poor, like all things in our society, politics corrupts our discussions about the poor. By the way, my degree is in political science. Conservatives, we learn, generally fight expansions in government programs because many of them have been shown to be inefficient or many believe they ultimately don't help alleviate poverty. That's what you'll hear in terms of conservative philosophy. Progressives, or liberals, as they were called when I was young, who most often fight for expansions in government programs because they see government programs as a solution to the problem. Now, some of you might believe the conservative is just being stingy and they're not sincere in those beliefs. Instead, you might believe they have a hard heart against the poor, and if that's true of the individual, that'd be a sin based on what we just discussed. Or you might believe the progressive is more interested in creating a giant class of voters dependent on them that will vote for them all the time if they create enough government programs. And if that's their motivation as individuals, that too would be a sin because the Scripture tells us to be sincere in our actions to the poor. Jesus tells us we're always going to have the poor, doesn't matter how many government programs we have doesn't matter how many government programs we cut. But I think these arguments miss the point because we're not today talking about the role of government in alleviating poverty. We're discussing our personal roles, what we're to be about. You can hold either of those two sets of beliefs or something hybrid in between and still not be in conflict with the Bible so long as you have compassion for the poor okay? And what? And do something about it. You, personally. Me, personally. The key to all this is you and me. And that's what God's asking for. He's not asking us to support a certain type of government. And there are just so many ways you can do it. So many ways you can be obedient. Hey, if you're too nervous to approach a beggar on the street corner, I totally get that. You don't have to do that. It is a dangerous world we live in. There's a lot of stuff going on. And we're more aware of it than we've ever been because of 24-hour news. Maybe you don't feel like giving a few bucks to a person by an on-ramp. You get a little nervous rolling your window down by an on-ramp. Okay, don't do that. Maybe you don't like the organizations that gather contributions for your employer. You know, maybe maybe you're not a fan of the United Way. Or you're not a fan of the Red Cross or the various criticisms you know you hear over the years about various nonprofits. That's fine. Every, every one of those examples could be true, and there's nothing wrong with that, so long as you do something. And you actually have two resources to give. My whole talk today has obviously been about dollar signs, dollar signs, dollar signs, but we actually have two things we can give. Both are precious, one's actually more precious than the other. You can give your money and you can give your time, and they both matter. Serving the poor matters so it's meaningful if you serve, if you personally serve. There's so many avenues. The bottom line is this, when you serve the poor or when you give to the poor, you're showing people just a glimpse of the compassion of our Savior. And we refer to Him as a waymaker, right? A miracle worker, a promise keeper, a light in the darkness. Well, it's our job to show those things. A lot of people think we're in the end times. That judgment day grows ever near. And I would say this, that when it comes to the poor, if we're in the end times... What a perfect time to show the love of Jesus. What a perfect time to try to help drag somebody to the finish line. Right? Because they need Jesus just like you need Jesus. Right now the world is telling people that we are hateful. The American media tells people that Christians are hateful. We're human. That means some of us are hateful, even if we shouldn't be. When you're generous in your heart, when you're generous, you're showing people the heart of Jesus. You're giving them a glimpse, just a tiny glimpse of what Jesus offers them. Compassion, mercy, even when you don't deserve it. Whether through big programs or small actions, we can and should be involved. So I'm gonna rattle off some Examples for you here real quick. Here in Petascala, ladies in our church have launched organizations for, that care for young single mothers. Most of those young single mothers aren't wealthy, or they wouldn't be living in a house for a young single mother. They need your help. They need our help. Other ladies in our church have a, a program for foster kids that have aged out that, that the government program just dropped they're not wealthy or they wouldn't need that program so there's two things you can do if you want to do it right here right here in your in your lap you want to get outside of our church there's food pantries to serve there's county charities in licking county greater columbus there's whole lists of them if you don't have money to spare but you have time you can give How about things like big brothers, big sisters? How about things like boys and girls clubs where you can make a difference in the life of a person by being there for them? Again, the kids that are involved in those programs, they're not wealthy kids. They're not kids that are well off. That's the poor. That's the needy. That's the weak. You want to be less visible yourself, part of something larger you can give to charities that work across this entire country, across the entire world, like Samaritan's Purse. You can give there. And the bottom line is this. As a country, as Americans, we're generally more prosperous than any country and you can donate time and money to international charities. If if you look at America like we've got enough, you want to give internationally, fine. Do that. I look at this like it's like pizza. I like pepperoni and cheese. He likes meat lovers. She likes a veggie pizza. we all like pizza we're being told to do something for the poor you got a lot of choices for how you can do that as long as you do it as long as you get involved the bottom line is god tells us explicitly without debate we're to remember the poor not like remember the alamo where we say it and it really doesn't mean anything but instead where we honor our lord by remembering the poor and obeying him to do something about it. i got three quotes to close with today. My Connect Group buddies will all groan because they're going to know who these quotes come from because I I listen to Dr. David Jeremiah a lot. And uh, this past month, he's been talking about the end times and he hit me with three different quotes that I wrote down in three different sermons. Here's the first one. God loves us, but we're not supposed to be a reservoir for that love, but a channel for it to flow to others. Ain't that awesome? You've been blessed. You need to pass that blessing along to others. You need to make a difference in the lives of others. He also said that it matters if we show compassion It matters in our overall witness because people don't really care what we know unless they know that we actually care. I think that's like refrigerator magnet material, right? People don't really care what we know unless they know we care. That's a great quote. The Bible tells us, this is the last one, the Bible tells us, this isn't David Jeremiah, this is God. We're supposed to let our light shine before men. The light shine doesn't mean walking around pious doing Gregorian chants. It means living with, with the compassionate heart of Jesus toward, toward everyone, but especially those who are in need. So I beat this stuff to death today. Um, Tim Roberts and I were talking before the service. He saw the subject matter. He saw that I was doing it. I actually shared parts of these scriptures with my Connect group years ago. He said, Oh, he said, this is something you feel really strongly about. I know that. And I said, Yeah. I said, When Pastor Brian gave that to me, I called him. This is true. I called him and I said, You sure you want me to do this message? And he said, Oh, yeah. And I said, Yeah, but you understand, I feel like super strong about this. This really matters to me. And I don't want to offend anybody, I don't want to make people feel badly. He said, I understand that you feel strongly about that's why I gave it to you to begin with. I want you to know that my message to you today is heartfelt, compassionate. I'm not condemning you for how you've been, because you know what? The things that I could be condemned for on paper are too long for me to write. What I'm saying is you can you can turn the ship just like you did the day you got saved. You can say a prayer that says, God, Jesus, give me a heart for those less fortunate than me. Give me a heart of compassion. And that doesn't mean a heart that feels bad. A heart of compassion that, that compels me to do something. Open that up for me. Give me opportunities. Make me a person of action. And that's it. Poof. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do is turn and pray to God that he give you a heart for people less fortunate. And it's secure. That's it and just start doing something about it. And so I'd like to get our worship team to start coming up here. I'd also like to get some prayer folks up here. I'll start by saying this, you know, anytime that we bring our prayer team up front, I I just can't say strongly enough, if you need prayer for anything, anything, something that's completely different than what we've talked about today, that's what these people are here for. They want to pray with you. The Bible says that prayer matters. The Bible says prayer matters a lot. And so if you've got something going on and you need prayer, completely unrelated to remembering the poor, then, man, get out of your seat and go do it. For some reason, it's hard for us to get out of our seats and go seek prayer. seems to be really hard for men. I don't get it, but I do. I mean, I've I've been that way. But get up here and get prayer if you need it. They're here for you. But if this message today specifically resonates with you at all, and you want to get in line with God's will for remembering the poor, come up here and pray with these people. Pray that God would work on your heart. Pray that God would show you opportunities that just set you on fire to obey this commandment to remember the poor. Pray that God would give you opportunities. And if you have someone in your life that you know needs this type of help, you pray with these people about that too. You pray for wisdom. Sometimes giving to the poor can be tough choices. We talked about whether you're helping somebody or not and that sort of thing. They're, they're hard decisions to be made with these things. I don't make it easy. Come up and pray about the best way to approach these things in wisdom. But If you would, just come up and, uh, and seek wisdom from our prayer team. Together you can seek God in these things. And over time, figure out the best route for you. It might take you a while, it might take you three or four months to figure out the best way to be active. As long as you're moving toward being active, that's all that matters. And last, I would say this, if any of the things I said today shook you a little bit in terms of your own, your own standing with God, you fix that too. Number one, you come up here and do business with him directly all by yourself. Or you can meet with one of our prayer team members and talk about it, what it means to be saved. Because one day, the chance for that's going to be over. And we, man, we've got to get ready for that day. And we need to help others get ready for that day. So if, if any of this shook you up a little bit and you're worried about what it means, Let's pray about it. Let's talk about it. Because this is a good news story. God wants to forgive you just like he did the day you got saved. He wants to talk to you if you're feeling bad. All these things or anything else that you'd like to pray about, come forward and talk to our prayer team. And uh, just God bless you as we do our our closing worship.